Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. This episode is sponsored by AppSec Phoenix, the next generation application security platform, enabling organizations to run application security programs in a smart way. Visit www.appsecphoenix.com to learn more. Hello, hello, hello. Do we have Sam on the call? Hello, everyone. Hello, Francesco. Thank you for having me. Thank you for making the time today and welcome to the Cybersecurity Mentoring Monday. Yeah, Finally, man. we managed to, to get you in and we completed the property. There was chapter and there was people and application security series. So this is actually going to conclude a series that started. But do you want to introduce yourself for the guests that probably everybody knows you, but for the guests that don't know you yet? Yeah, excellent. Okay, thank you, Francesco. I'm excited to be here. Uh, my name is Sam Stepanian. I'm an application security architect and consultant by day. And in my spare time, I volunteer for OWASP, Open Web Application Security Project. So I'm currently one of the chapter leaders in OWASP London, which is uh, quite a responsible uh, thing to do. As you know, we run quite a lot of events in London for the community, which we managed to grow quite a bit, and it keeps growing, which is quite good to see that there are more and more people in London interested in application security, attending our events, and uh, listen to speakers that we invite to present talks on various aspects of uh, cybersecurity and application security. Uh, going back to myself, originally I'm um, application developer. Going back many years ago, back in 2005, I moved into application security because that was uh, kind of the birth date of PCI DSS when everyone started getting concerned about taking credit cards online and making sure that there's security. And of course, this is when OWASP was first mentioned by uh, payment card industry data security standard when they said, okay, you must have your applications reviewed for, as a bare minimum, OWASP top 10 vulnerabilities. And then everyone was asking, what is OWASP top 10? So this is uh, my journey into AppSec, and I made a transition from application development to application security to work with developers to help them understand vulnerabilities in applications in the source code and help them understand and remediate them. So since then, I work with quite a few organizations, mainly financial sector, but I've done different industries, e-commerce, travel, working in various um, aspects such as web application firewalls, helping organizations which cannot fix their code to protect their legacy applications, and financial service organizations which do have in-house developers and helping them to understand vulnerabilities in their code and remediate them. And I think we know because we party on, on that field and we know how hard it is. But introducing myself for for who joins and for who doesn't know me. I'm Francesco Cipollone. I'm heading up the Cloud Security Alliance for UK and Ireland. Uh, I'm also a director for NSC42, that is a security consultancy, and I'm a consultant myself. I operate uh, like Sam on application security of late and cloud transformation since like forever. I'm also the host of Mentoring Monday or Cyber Mentoring Monday podcast, where we spread the knowledge as much as we can as Sam and the OWASP chapter does. So we're all trying to make the world a little bit more secure 
one conversation at a time. So welcome, Sam. And I'm going to start you by challenging you with, like, in 10 seconds, can you give us a positive message about cybersecurity since we're all doom and gloom always? Oh, do you mean the prediction or just... Uh, no, no, generally? no, just give, give, give us a positive message, whatever, it can be any field, anything. Well, I think the main positive message that we need to give is the fact that the industry is growing and there is a lot of interest to it, which I think is very good. Because if you look at, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, the world was practically unknown. And I think now I'm seeing that um, mainly organizations and the, uh, the board level uh, executives are now paying more attention to cybersecurity. Even though, of course, we have some negative things like data breaches happening, I think uh, generally speaking, the fact that people are aware of it, uh, there are people looking at their personal security, at passwords, there is now, I think, a very good positive vibe in the industry uh, with regards to cybersecurity. I think previously it was more about doom and gloom and uh, fear, uncertainty and doubt. There's a FUD, right, or FUD. Uh, there's a three-letter abbreviation, which um, I think is kind of a negative thing. I think we need, to, we need to look at cybersecurity as a positive thing, as an enabler, first of all. Really look at cybersecurity. No, it's a good message. It's a good and positive message, and I couldn't agree more. If I think probably around two, three years ago, application security wasn't a thing, wasn't discussed in the board. Now, application security is coming more and more into place. We are kind of losing access to the infrastructure side. So the more the more we go towards the cloud, I see the more we're going to just own data and, and, and code. Absolutely, so. absolutely. I agree because many years ago, people were only focused on network security because people were only concerned about hackers and attackers breaking into their network and breaking havoc inside. That's why everyone was only concentrated on the perimeter and protecting their perimeter. But as we know now, um, there is no perimeter with a cloud and applications <laughs> that you run are your perimeter, whether that's a mobile app, whether that's a web application. And there is no more a defined data center where you can build it as a fortress uh, with only one door in on port uh, 80 or on port 443 uh, for someone to connect to your website and then start trading. So obviously, um, uh, with, with the cloud, you need to really look at the applications. And of course, if you look at the breaches recently, I keep telling people, I say, I don't really recall any significant data breach in the past maybe 10, 15 years, which happened because someone's network was breached because of the misconfigured firewall or mm. um, something firewall related. It's always something related to the application. So, yeah, application application has always been the bigger attack service. I mean, if, if we can mention some of the breaches like Equifax or... I don't know, British Airways, where they didn't, uh, they, they did a side channel attack on, on a library uh, or Equifax with Apache Strats. And those are, those are probably the, the most famous or the most recent one. But as you say, it's, network is just a first step. But I cannot say that we just barely grasp the concept of network and everything is changing. Application security, I don't even start there. It's like security is, is grasping to get hold of a language and then their language changes. I mean, if you look at all the new and modern language that came out, I mean, it's, it's crazy. We, we barely managed to have time to even understand how to do secure something and we move to the next language. Exactly, that's right. So you need to think about uh, security in language independent terms. And as an architect, you really know how 
how important that is. So this is really why OWASP was really created to help uh, everyone, help developers mainly, and help software architects to uh, get an understanding grasp of uh, um, uh, software security and help them as a free and open source community-driven uh, initiative to make sure that uh, people know where to where to look and wh- where to find things. Because if, uh, let's say, your organization and you're saying, okay, I need to code more securely and I need uh, secure coding guidelines, where do I get them? Do they invent you yourself or do you look for someone uh, who has already done it? So OWASP as a foundation, we already have secure coding guidelines. If you need and it's to open. And it's open source. If you want to understand how to test your applications for security, again, uh, there's a community-driven standard available for that. If you want to verify your security of the applications, there's also standard available. Uh, Of course, we have OWASP Top 10, which is the most popular project, and we have hundreds and hundreds of free and open source tools as well, which are there to help the organizations to address specific problems when they're struggling to navigate, let's say, a commercial world of various vendors and then trying to figure out which tool is the right one for them. So this is why I think OWASP is a great organization because we are uh, thousands of volunteers worldwide which are really sacrificing our spare time um, to make the world more secure and to provide all this guidance, tools, books to the community to help everyone. And you did, and you did recently a contribution yourself with, I think, a plugin to NetHacker. That's and a right. Great yes. presentation. With a with a uh, Citrix uh, vulnerability, which uh, is actually quite a big thing in the past uh, two months, right? So obviously, I think it everything went crazy for it. It hit the world, I think, on the eighth of January when uh, public exploit was published. So quite serious thing, and, and obviously, uh, all the organizations are scrambled to check. First of all, if they have any Citrix devices on their network, and secondly, they need to find out if they're vulnerable or not, and of course, to apply the mitigation and the patches now out. And obviously, I I did my bit because obviously I couldn't find any tool available to test it. And after reading the information the on the um, in the CV, I just uh, wrote a new module for OWASP Attacker, which is another free and open source tool available everyone to download and use. And yeah, I actually used it myself uh, with some of the clients to help them uh, find and mitigate their vulnerability. And you've been involved in, in well, aside from NetHacker and a lot of other, uh, a lot of other discussion. But tell tell us a little bit more. How did you get involved in NetHacker? Because I, I really like the, the, how you grow into it from your presentation. Yeah, Net, NetHacker is indeed a very interesting story because obviously I'm an application security guy, right? So I'm not a network security guy. And, I, and I, I started with I started with uh, hell, I don't remember the name anymore, but I started from from ping ping sweep and then you know traditional tra- Nessus or traditional tool for exactly, exactly. for testing. So things like Nessus are available. But again, if people want to use Nessus, for example, right, and if you if they want to use the free version, you can only scan sixteen IP addresses, which for modern networks is of course not enough. If you're a small, uh, medium-sized organization, you only have 16 servers, then probably yes. So, of course, this is one of the things. And, but I was never really into this side of scanning, really, because I was mm-hmm. always into scanning application source codes to find vulnerabilities there and not in the network. And the story really is that I had nothing to do with OWASP Netaka until December 2018 when the actual uh, team of uh, OWASP Netaka project uh, reached out to OWASP London chapter leaders and they said, 
guys, look, we actually have a presentation at Black Hat Europe. And uh, unfortunately, we cannot be there on time, but we don't want to lose our slot because uh, we think our project needs to be presented. And we are all us. Can you guys uh, substitute us and present the project? And um, yeah. How many days in advance? Yeah, uh, it was like two days in advance. (laughs) And we had to learn it. We had to learn it overnight. And yeah, after I figured out what that is, because I had no idea, because I looked at the page, I looked at the the OWASP page for the project, I looked at the GitHub. And I'm like, I can't figure out what the hell is this thing? What is it doing? But only after conversation with Nataka uh, Project Leaders guys, I said, oh my God, this is like the best thing since sliced bread to happen. <laughs> and uh, uh, when we presented it, we had huge crowds of people gathering at Black Hat. I'm like, for OWASP project, I think it was a massive win because they'll, of course, uh, Black Hat um, Arsenal is a special track at the Black Hat conferences where uh, open source projects are being presented, but I just did not expect uh, uh, this kind of crowd. Such a crowd. Uh, because everyone turned up because um, I think OWASP name itself, I think, was quite, uh, um, I think, a, an important factor in the fact that so many people turned up. Those of them realized that the project is very useful. This is what it's actually very good for Nataka because it is a very, very useful project. And as I mentioned before, one of the things that most organizations struggle with, for example, is asset discovery. You go yeah. to an organization and you say, okay, we want to protect our assets. It's like, okay, do you know every single website, web server, website, all your service that you're running? And it's like, no, we don't. And Not even um, to mention the application security, uh, application exactly, exactly. Uh, software asset <laughs> register. Exactly. That's a diff- completely different story. Enumeration exactly. of software is just a completely different story. But even basic, I agree with you. A lot of people struggle. That's right. And this is why I think quite a few people reached out to OWASP and said, okay, OWASP, you need to have like in your OWASP top 10 risks, you need to add like risk number zero. Like, like the, what you need to start from is... Asset your, register. Asset register, right? And uh, well, how, how can you do it? And then now OWASP uh, attacker can do one of these simple things because it can go and scan all your subdomains, all your IP ranges, and find every single service which is listening there, or port 80, port 443, or whichever port, and produce you, give you a nice actionable report, mm-hmm. uh, which is machine-readable and machine-consumable. So it's not just a PDF report which you can go and print and say, well, what do I do with this? It's actually actionable. Uh, machine-readable uh, JSON format that you can then import into something else and, and work with it. And um, I just did that. Actually, after your presentation, I just started deploying NetHacker and integrating in, uh, in the Security Phoenix database that we were building in Fiora or exactly. our client. So exactly. it's free and easy things, right, for Citrix, Francesco mentioned, now with Citrix vulnerabilities, since I've added the module, now because the module goes out and checks and props for Citrix devices, um, even if you don't have vulnerability, it will find them. You can still list them. Exactly, exactly. And this is what's really good. And of course, the other thing, right? So we talk a lot about passwords, right? I know you're very passionate about multi-factor authentication. Yes. Right? But how many people in the network, they will still have devices which with default credentials, you know, the boxes. Or SMB. You a password being admin, admin. I think almost every day we hear about data breaches or some IoT devices uh, which have default passwords or I hear about you know, firewalls and uh, corporate environment, which had default uh, passwords. And I think quite a few very big vendors. Uh, yeah, Cisco, I think, and Linksys. Cisco, Linksys, Fortinet just recently, I think they keep fixing, keep patching, trying to remove default credentials 
Yeah. And again, how do you test your network if you have anything with the full credentials? Right? Uh, yeah, all Exactly, exactly. And I repeat, because Netaka is a lab project. It's a, it's a um, startup project which was originally created by just a couple of guys and then enhanced by students. So this is another very good initiative that OWASP has that probably a lot of people don't know because we partner up with Google on an initiative which is called Google Summer of Code, or GSOC. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind this program is that um, Google will actually pay students if they work on an open source project over the summer during the summer holidays. And is uh, the Open Summit uh, by any chance related to this? Uh, no, the Open Summit is a different thing. So Open okay. Summit is completely, but Google Summer of Code is actually initiated by Google. And there are various organizations who produce open source tools. They participate in it. And I think OWASP has been participating in Google Summer of Code every single year, and that will be participating this year as well. There's applications. So if anyone who is listening to this podcast is a student in your student university, you're currently a student, and you you would like to learn about uh, open source tool, and you would like to contribute and uh, work on an interesting project and get paid for it by Google uh, over the summer, you can apply. So... And put in your CV. So So if you search for OWASP and Google Summer of Code, you will find out this. It's not just, uh, of course, OWASP. There are many other organizations participating. But if you're passionate about application security and you want to enhance any OWASP tool, which is open source, then obviously that's a a right initiative. And obviously this is how Nataka was born because there were several students who participated in Google Summer of Code and they enhance the project to the, such a degree that even though it's not officially released yet, it's still version 001 and pretty much a development project, it's still very usable. It's very usable right now with the 62 modules, which uh, organizations can download and use completely free of charge right now. And of course, because it's open source, if you like it and you find there's something missing, you're free to contribute and enhance it. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of AppSec Phoenix Limited. AppSec helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security problems by using smart data aggregation and complex machine learning software. Discover how AppSec Phoenix helps CISO and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at www.appsecphoenix.com. AppSec Phoenix is the new and smart dev-first way to manage your software vulnerability. Follow the tag, hashtag AppSecSmart. And as you say, step number one for any organization is knowing your asset, your your attack surface. That is exactly the same thing as an attacker. And probably that's why a lot of people at Blackhead have said, I swarm into that because they... From Netcat, we didn't have any other tools. So here you go. Exactly. A nice and modular tool. Exactly. Yeah. And obviously, this is quite difficult. But then uh, there was, I think, NetHacker is quite a, a neat little project, which uh, I think fills very important gap. And uh, I think it's fantastic that the guys actually created it. So this is not the only project that I was involved personally. Of course, uh, I also... I uh, worked on uh, OWASP uh, Web Application Firewall Evaluation Criteria Project as well, as well as on um, the last OWASP Top 10 in 2017. Yeah. We are now getting ready for the next OWASP Top 10, uh, hopefully this year, uh, OWASP Top 10 2020. Um, so, any uh, any sneak peek? The work is already starting. Well, um, the thing to understand about OWASP Top 10 is that it is based on data. So a lot of people mm-hmm. say, what is Top 10? How do you know it's Top 10? The way how it actually works, that the project leaders, they reach out to 
everyone who runs a scanner for vulnerabilities and they ask for data. And they're saying, okay, give us your data over, let's say, past year, what vulnerabilities you've seen the most frequently. And then this data is all aggregated, analyzed, anonymized, and then the line is drawn, and then we say, okay, these are the top 10. And we see this changes, um, not quite significantly, because there's no, if you look even at uh, OWASP top 10 uh, from 15 years ago, uh, the main vulnerabilities are still there, right? What we buffer call overflow, OWASP, anyone? What we, what we call you know, OWASP top 2 and OWASP top 3, and you know, things like buffer overflows, SQL injection, cross-site scripting. Right. These are the vulnerabilities that a lot of people know about it, but uh, they still happen and they're still on top, unfortunately. But it's the vulnerabilities which now kind of shifting. So, for example, a lot of people noticed that in the last OWASP top 10, the cross-site request forgery, CSRF or CSRF, as we like to call it, uh, disappeared. So it's actually cut, shifted to number 11. That's why uh, it's still there, it's still important. But again, the reason for it, going from OWASP top 10 is because nowadays a lot of modern frameworks, they already provide built solutions. So of course, the uh, application development is changing, is evolving, and there are now less and less applications being developed from scratch. And, more and I want to... Solutions wanna, which uh, are developed inside a framework, which already provide a kind of solution, for example, I know, .NET, or if you look at any particular language, there will be a specific framework which already works to provide some degree of security, and some of them, they already cover CSRF. However, also, there is a change in browsers, so we need to remember that web applications are, and uh, mobile applications, they access using browsers, and there's now a shift in browser security as well. So from this year, as you know, Chrome is now enforcing another um, CSRF mitigation called Same Side Cookie, mm-hmm. and this will actually affect quite a lot of web applications worldwide. Um, because they need it's to It's been a, a recent change, right? Yeah, he, right. They, they, they shifted on that and they took a hard stance as Google with us. Exactly. But again, if we look, for example, at uh, Francesco Esper for some pr- predictions or sneak peek, I kind of get a feeling that uh, server-side request forgery or SSRF vulnerability mm-hmm. will now probably make it into top 10. Again, this is just a speculation. We need to look at the data. And again, the reason for that is cloud security, as you know, because... Uh, more and more cloud-related breaches happen before because of the SSRF, just the vulnerability uh, where the server side is not properly protected, and server side applications are living uh, unlimited access, which allows attackers to exploit it and get into your network from outside. So I think this this is probably quite an important thing. It's still a lot of people don't don't understand how it works. I urge everyone to actually check out on SSRF vulnerabilities. And of course, one good use case is to have a look at the Capital One breach, which actually one of the vulnerabilities exploited was SSRF. Yeah, no, and and it's always good. And and uh, aside from the FUD and and all the noise that happens in the first two or three weeks, there is also always a nice write-up of the incident that is, is a good lesson learned. Struts was one. British Airways was another one that I was particularly passionate about. And everybody knows that I keep on mentioning these two. But as you say, Capital One is a bit, bit, uh, bit one more recent where there was a lot of debate. There was a lot of drama going around. So it's, it's quite famous as well. But as you said, if we dial it back and say I want to start an application security something in my organization. 
where do I start? Right. So uh, the application security program is probably what you mean about application security. Something I, I don't uh, want to call it even a program because then it's a big thing. I'm just saying I'm a small thing. organization. I have yeah. little money. I want to start doing application security. So I think the first thing that you need to address is you need to actually talk to developers because this is what they talk about, shift left. There's a lot of people saying, okay, let's do application security. What do we need? Oh, right, let's protect the application just before it's being released into production or in production. Say, no, let's look at the root cause of application security issues, and that's development for the application. So you need to work with developers and you need to work and uh, with them and educate them on application security issues. You need to train uh, what we call security champions among developers. So, of course, w w th there is always this kind of, um, I think, a misconception that developers versus security or us versus them. Um, yeah, uh, developers try to get security out of their way and security exactly. try to get developer out of their way. And there is that constant fight, but it's actually not a fight. We we both trying exactly. to work for the benefit of the organization, and that's a big thing I keep on addressing in my my security champion network and trainers. Exactly, exactly. So that's where I think we should be because we need to collaborate, and security is really an enabler. So sometimes I do give this analogy with the with the cars and you know automobile industry. So until the car started getting security features such as seat belts and brakes and airbags that actually allow the cars to move faster right so the same thing with security so when and also you educate the drivers as well so mm. how to drive security so this is exactly the same thing with application security you educate your drivers you educate your developers how to how to write the secure code and of course these the security features and scanning that needs to be introduced. It's all a part of the big problem. So what I would always start with developers and developer education, developer training to make sure that the developers are aware of uh, vulnerabilities, potential vulnerabilities, and they know how to uh, remediate them. Because unfortunately, as I see today, because I attend quite a lot of developer conferences, security is still not high on the agenda. Yeah. Unfortunately. However, this is not a negative thing because if you speak to any application developer, they all want to be secure. So this is another misconception of people saying, oh, development and security, they enemies. No, we're, we're supposed to be friends uh, and we should be friends. So shall we talk more with the product owner? So one approach that I've been taking of late is having a conversation, a dumbed-down conversation with the business and trying to talk application security in really simple terms. And one term that I love is the cake factory. Yes. When you, <laughs> I think it was one of my latest presentations, but I love it so much because it explained the traceability of what you deploy in a shop on how you compose a cake and the ingredient, the ingredient that you put in the cake. And if each of these process you get rotten stuff, then the cake becomes rotten. And you need to act as a healthy, healthy inspector and you need to know where every of these stuff comes from. But it's, it's really trying to have that conversation, I think, with the with the business and, and trying to make it as simple as possible that then give the product team and ultimately the developer the time to actually do what's right. Because every every developer that I speak to is like, as you just said, we want to do what's right. We want to we be secure, but we don't have time to actually secure everything. That's right. And they don't have the requirements, uh, security requirements introduced to them by the product owners. So Francesca, I think you're right on that because obviously one of the reasons why we have the problem with security of our applications is because the product owners 
do not produce security requirements. They say only functional requirements is okay. This product should do this, this, and this, and this. And you have to develop it and deliver it in the fastest timescales possible. And yeah. no one is talking about security. That means that security is always an afterthought because then they're going to start testing, penetration testing, security code scanning. They find vulnerabilities. And then, as you know, the cost of fixing vulnerability close to the production date is a magnitude times uh, greater than if you try to address it at the beginning. Yeah, it's like to build a house and trying to and trying to fix the foundation once you build the house already. It's like probably going to be a crippled house and you're only going to have time to fix a couple of foundation and the application will be crippled instead of layering it on. Exactly, exactly. And I, I really like this analogy because I always try to bring the analogy in architecture in real life with software. And unfortunately now with you know the whole sort of agile way of delivering software projects. Um, and I can see that security is not really there uh, because people are only focused on delivering user value but without any thought given to the actual security. I couldn't agree more. And it's not much that. Is security is a holistic view of things. And it's always a struggle when you see an element and I always have this kind of debate with my with community developer, especially the, the, the one that push agile and smaller and smaller change and simpler change. When you review the individual change, and I completely agree that having simple and smaller change make you more able to identify a problem in the code, but then you lose the vision of the holistic view. That's why threat modeling is so important, but it can only be done at a point in time. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com. 